house. So just to let you know, and if anyone has any questions or comments, that those will be recorded as well. Uh, so again, welcome everybody, and we're going to get started. Okay. What I wanted to do is just give you all, and hopefully you have the um, printouts or Sarah and or Gloria can send them to you, but I want to just give you a list of some of the things that we talk about and some of the phrases that you might hear, uh, both in terms of dementia care and, you know, general antipsychotic drugging and also in the nursing home world. So I gave a list of some of the antipsychotic drugs here, include Haldol, Seroquel, Seroquel, excuse me, Abilify, um, BPSD are what we call the behavioral and psycho psychological symptoms of dementia. This is a common, commonly used phrase, excuse me, for when someone, you know, so-called acts out, when they have dementia, sometimes people might spit or they might, you know, they might scratch, they might have physical uh, manifestations. Uh, a friend of my parents had early onset dementia and he would make a chirping noise. And so those are generally what we talk about in your nursing homes. We'll say, you know, they're trying to treat those symptoms, uh, and they're called the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. Non-pharmacological approaches or interventions, and we're going to talk a lot about this in our second session, but these are essentially approaches to dementia care that avoid the use of antipsychotic drugs. So um, we have behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, and then we have antipsychotic drugging, which we're trying to prevent. And then one way we prevent that and is through non-pharmacological interventions or approaches to care. And then on the right-hand side, just some of the government agencies that I thought uh, were important for you to know about. Uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they are the federal agency. They oversee all nursing home licensing, and they also pay for all nursing home care, um, all nursing home care that's paid for through Medicaid and Medicare in the United States. Uh, DOH is the New York State Department of Health. CMS contracts with the state DOH to enforce standards in nursing homes. DOH also does enforcements in adult homes and assisted living. The MFUCU, Medicaid Fraud Control Unit, is in the New York State Attorney General's Office. They investigate and uh, prosecute abuse and neglect as well as fraud in nursing homes, and they often will do a good job. They are not able to do the oversight on a regular basis in all nursing homes that DOH is responsible for doing, but they do, in uh, our opinion, generally a much stronger investigation, and they do have a complaint line, and they do uh, take complaints about nursing home care and abuse. Sometimes they will relate those complaints to the Department of Health. I always think it's it's a good thing to go to the Medicaid fraud control unit because they tend to be much more, much stronger and much more oriented to protecting residents, in my experience and knowledge at least, than the Department of Health can be. Lastly, we have the OMIG, the Office of the Medicaid Inspector General. And that is actually housed in the New York State Department of Health, but it's a separate entity, and they are also looking at quality of care and, and auditing nursing homes to make sure that they're performing in the way they're supposed to. So here I just wanted to provide some background information that is useful for this session as well as for hopefully your work and, and just in general the work that we do at LTCCC. What is the problem we're trying to address today? This is actually a really, really big issue. Almost one in five nursing home residents now are given antipsychotics every day. Uh, antipsychotic drugs are medications that are, are supposed to treat people with psychotic conditions such as um, uh, schizophrenia. They're also used to treat Tourette syndrome and to treat Huntington's disease. Only about 2% of the population will ever be diagnosed with a psychotic condition in their lifetime. So just take a moment to think about that. Right now, we have one out of five residents um, who are receiving these drugs. Only about 2% of the population will ever be diagnosed with a psychotic condition. And many of those people, uh, actually, their psychotic condition dissipates or goes away or is treated earlier in their life. For instance, uh, Tourette syndrome often occurs in people that are younger and then dissipates um, when, they, when they become older. 
Unfortunately, over the years, it's become a common practice to sedate nursing home residents with dementia when they're experiencing or exhibiting those so-called behavioral symptoms of dementia. What's important to know is that the Food and Drug Administration has issued a black box warning, its highest possible warning on antipsychotic drugs, stating that elderly patients with dementia-related psychosis treated with atypical antipsychotic drugs are at an increased risk of death. Uh, antipsychotics have other very common side effects. They can cause movement disorders, what we call Parkinsonism, so people don't get Parkinson's disease, but they have many of the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Uh, people are much more likely to fall, have hip fractures, suffer from strokes and heart attacks, and as I said before, a significantly increased risk of death. Importantly, antipsychotics stupefy residents, and they can exacerbate the functional and cognitive limitations that someone with dementia is already experiencing. And lastly, and as you can say, I put this in bold, bold, antipsychotic drugs are not effective for more than a short period of time in addressing the so-called behavioral symptoms of dementia. So that's really important. What the FDA has said in its full black box warning is that these drugs are not indicated clinically for dementia and for so-called dementia-related psychosis, uh, and that, in fact, they can have those serious side effects. Welcome. We're just getting started. We're on page three of the, uh, of the presentation, and I'm talking about the, the problem that we are working to address and you know, we're talking about today. Now, for instance, I, I know that one of the nursing home family members who, am I, who I've met, excuse me, that she, her mother was in a nursing home and she visits her mother every day. She happens to live very, very close to her mother's nursing home. And all of a sudden her mother was kind of out of it. You know, she's in her 90s and she had a little bit of dementia and all of a sudden she was not responsive. She was not really recognizing her daughter anymore. She was, had become very lethargic and she did not know that her mother had been given antipsychotic drugs until an ombudsman came into and gave an in-service training to her family council and told them about this problem. And then she asked, you know, what, what drugs are my mother, is my mother on? And she found out that they were giving her mother antipsychotics. So that's why I said this is almost one in five nursing home residents are receiving these drugs. That percentage is much, much higher for residents with dementia. Um, and it is, so it's really a serious problem. Again, only 2% of the population has a psych, uh, will ever have a diagnosis of a psychotic condition. So it's an enormous problem of that discrepancy between the number of people who are getting these drugs and the number of people who might actually need them. So we're going to talk today about the next session as well about the laws and regulations and especially next session, some of the things that you can do. But what I want to do today is really provide a foundation for what the problem is, because it is so pervasive, uh, what is going on to identify and address it, and to, to give you some of the, the um, things that you can look at and think about in terms of combating this issue in your nursing homes and with your residents. So in 1987, the, the federal nursing home reform law prohibits the use of psychotropic drugs as chemical restraints to control or sedate residents for the convenience of staff. So that's really important. And that law, again, has been in effect for almost 30 years. The regulations that came out of that law went into effect in 1991 or 1992. So nursing homes know about every single standard that we're talking about today has been on the books for decades. Uh, in May 2011, the Inspector General of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said that nursing home residents and their families should be outraged, those were his words, by his office's report that well over a quarter of a million nursing home residents were receiving antipsychotic drugs for medically unacceptable off-label uses. And then the next year he did a review of resident records and his office found that 91% of those records did not contain any evidence that either the resident or the resident's family or legal representative participated in the resident care planning process. Every resident in that study was administered an antipsychotic drug. So again, you know, just to put together the pieces, you have 2% of the population less, it's about 1.5 actually, that will ever have 
a psychotic condition. You have 20% now of nursing home residents who are receiving antipsychotic drugs. And, you know, we, we see here that families, as I mentioned the example of the lady that I, that I, that I talked about before, uh, people not being informed about being given these drugs and therefore these drugs are, have really deleterious effects. Now that woman, when she found out that her mother was being given these drugs, she advocated for her mother to be, to have those drugs reduced. And her mother, this happened a couple of years ago, her mother is still alive, um, and she's in her, I think she's about 100 years old now, and she's still in the nursing home. She is not 100%, but she's, she's close to 100%. So she still has a little bit of dementia like she did before, but she's not lethargic. She's able to engage with her daughter. She gets dressed, um, and she is a, you know, an active member of her community. So really, really important. Uh, what is going on in terms of the law and the regulation? There have been recent updates to dementia care guidelines that require nursing homes to reassess their approach to dementia care. So the standards, as I said, have been in place for almost 25 years, since 1991 or 92, but the guidelines that the feds put out are now requiring that nursing homes have to reassess their approach to dementia care they have to, and this is part of the so-called Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, they have to provide annual training for their CNAs on dementia care. And then also, the last bullet point here, is that state and federal surveyors are supposed to enforce dementia care standards that require the use of non-pharmacological approaches to residents who have, you know, so-called dementia um, uh, behavioral-related symptoms of dementia. I'm going to try to open up the phone and see if hopefully we don't have static and we can um, – sorry, but oops, let me go back up. Go back here, and there we go. Uh, we still have a lot of static, I'm sorry. Can everyone mute themselves? And then you can unmute by pressing star six, but that might help. And I'm going to continue, but I will go on and um, and come back to it. So please mute yourself or uh, maybe hang up and come right back in. Or you could do star six to mute, and then star six again to unmute when you have a question or a comment. Hi, I'm not sure. I'm just going to repeat that. So I'm not sure if everyone heard. Uh, I apologize for some reason that we have static from one of the callers who called in, um, and we can't tell who it is. So what you can do is please press star six to mute your phone. And then if you have a question or a comment, when I open up the line, you can press star six to unmute. So I'm going to continue. What I'd like to do every every couple of slides is just to to check in with you all and see if anyone has any questions or if anyone wants to um, you know anyone wants to make a comment. So that, I mean that to me is really valuable. But I, the, with the static, I understand people are not hearing. So I'm sorry about that. I don't know how that happened. We were clear at the start, and then again um, we have static from one of the lines. So I'm going to try to do that that way. And then we'll um, we'll come back. So I'm going to continue for now. Why did this problem happen? So what really happened is that drug companies in the United States marketed these drugs to long-term care pharmacists, to nursing homes, to other providers of care to the elderly as a way to treat those so-called behavioral symptoms of dementia. And so even though it was illegal to chemically restrain people, what those drug companies did was they marketed this as a treatment. And what they found was further studies showed that, you know, this was in the 90s, that those antipsychotic drugs, and there were, there were new, new, um, new antipsychotic drugs that came out in the 90s that the pharmaceutical companies were marketing off-label, and they, um, the studies found that those those that knew those new excuse me from those new antipsychotics pardon me they were as dangerous as the old antipsychotics for 
for people, especially elderly people with dementia. And the U.S. government and many states' attorney generals, including, I believe, New York, New York State, they sued the nursing homes and they won. So they, there was, for instance, a couple of years ago, there was a settlement against Johnson & Johnson for over $2 billion for the, for the impact of these drugs and the illegal marketing. But in essence, uh, Johnson & Johnson made over $15 billion from those drugs. So they paid out $2 billion, but they made over $15 billion, and they put in place a practice that is very dangerous and that is, in fact, uh, for the most for most residents, illegal because those residents are being chemically restrained. Why does it continue? Um, there's a lack of training among providers and other providers. Oftentimes, there's a lack of sufficient staff, so there are not enough staff or not enough trained staff to know what to do when, when a resident becomes upset uh, or becomes agitated, so they just give them a drug. And most importantly, from our perspective, is the lack of enforcement of those dementia care standards that we're going to start talking about today, but which have been in place, again, since 1991-92, when that 1987 reform law was first put into, into regulation. Uh, it's important to keep in mind, I just want to remind people as we're getting started also, that we're focusing today on the federal standards regarding nursing home care. Uh, and that's what the, what the Inspector General was looking at. That's what we talk about when we talk about federal standards. However, this is a problem that affects elderly people, uh, especially elderly people with dementia in every single setting, assisted living, adult homes, and home, home care. And in fact, and I put this information here, there was a study that came out over the summer that found that 76% of assisted living residents have a documented diagnosis of dementia. That's not just saying they have dementia, they have a documented diagnosis of it. A third of those, 37%, more than a third of those people were being given antipsychotic drugs. So we're talking about one in five nursing home residents receiving those drugs in in assisted living, they found that over a third of them are receiving those drugs. And the study also found that residents who are in assisted living that have a memory care unit or, or an Alzheimer's unit were more likely to receive drugs for dementia and to receive antipsychotic drugs. So really important to keep in mind that we do a lot of things that are related to nursing homes. Uh, and last session we, we, we did was related more to adult homes and assisted living Today, next time, we're talking about nursing home standards, but as far as I'm concerned, good care, good dementia care in a nursing home is good dementia care everywhere. So the adult homes may not be subject, or the assisted living may not be subject to the same standards, but the care is as important there as it is, um, and, 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 and the standards and the quality of care that those people deserve is the same wherever they are. So I want to talk a little bit about the federal campaign. What happened in 2011, after the U.S. Inspector General said that nursing home residents and their families should, should be outraged by the level of drugging, that level of drugging in 2000, uh, 2000, 2011, excuse me, was 25%, so it was higher than it is now. Uh, we, uh, me, myself, and a group of other advocates went to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, we met with the administrator, who is the head of CMS. He's a presidential appointee. And we said, what are you going to do about this problem? And from that meeting, he said he initiated the national campaign to improve dementia care and reduce the use of antipsychotic drugging. So we met with him in October of 2012. In March of 2013, CMS set a national goal of reducing antipsychotic drugging by 15% by the end of 2012. And as far as we were concerned, that was a small amount. That was really just the start. And they, you know, CMS themselves said that it was a modest start to get the ball rolling. What happened was is that they didn't meet that goal. They didn't meet that goal in 2012. They didn't meet the goal in January 2013, February, March, April. They didn't meet that goal until December of 2013. So 
they said it was a modest goal to get the ball rolling, but the ball barely got rolling. And when they finally met that goal in, at the end of 2013, um, in 2014, they set a goal of a 5% reduction. So instead of getting stronger, they actually got weaker in terms of those goals. But we believe, as I say here, that it should be much higher. Virtually all of this drugging is known to be inappropriate. As I said, you have now we have 20%, so we're down from 25 to 20, and that's good. But that means you still have 19.5% of nursing home residents that are receiving dangerous drugs inappropriately. 18.5, excuse me. Uh, and that is just really terrible, and it's devastating for, for many, many people, and it's a tremendous waste of taxpayer monies. We wrote a brochure, and, and we'll get this out to you as well, but it's on our website, Get the Facts About Antipsychotic Drugs and Dementia Care. Uh, we had a contract from CMS to write this. It's a two-pager. It's um, pretty attractive. It looks nice. It has resources, but it gives people some basic information about this problem. So again, like that lady I talked about in who visits her mother every day in the nursing home, uh, this is a preventable problem, but it's really per pervasive and it's really dangerous. Uh, and those people die. I mean, they increase the risk of death by 50%. And just to have all those problems. You know, one thing, one of the advocates out in California who I speak to frequently said, you know, you're not helping that person with dementia. What you're doing is basically taking away the only means that they have to express what's going on. So a lot of times someone with dementia, they may be having those behavioral symptoms because they're bored. Uh, they may be constipated and comfortable. They may be, you know, just upset about something. They may have a urinary tract infection. There could be a number of things that, that are causing them. They can't say to you, you know what, my tummy hurts. Um, so they, they act out in a different way if they feel uncomfortable or upset. I know there was one case of an, in a nursing home that I know of down here that the, the resident would act out. He would become very aggressive every afternoon, and it was because they would move him into a common area, and they would put him in, in you know, his wheelchair and a certain space, you know, placed against the wall every single afternoon, and the light coming in from the window, someone finally noticed the light coming in was shining right into his face. He could not say, move me away. He could not move himself away. So what he did was he became upset and therefore aggressive. All they did was pay a little attention to what was going on in his surroundings and then do something different. And they didn't need to use drugs. It was very simple. They just really addressed the concern. That's why I said earlier, this goes to having adequate staff. It goes to having staff that are trained. And it really goes to the resident, you know, being focused on what the resident's needs are. And a lot of these things are really simple. They don't require a lot. They just require a little bit of understanding of the resident. And that's why, as I said here in the second you know, bullet from the bottom, education. As I said earlier, nursing homes are required to conduct annual training on good dementia care practices. Facilities are required to make sure that their staff know about these things. And one thing that drives me nuts is when I hear from facilities, oh, we didn't know what to do, we didn't know what to do. Treating people with dementia has been something that nursing homes have done since for as long as there have been nursing homes. There is no excuse not to know what to do with someone with dementia. And as I said before, oversight. We were involved with CMS when they developed surveyor, surveyor trainings. Surveyors are the nursing home inspectors that the state and the federal government have. Um, those surveyor trainings went out to every single state. Every single surveyor, both the state level and the federal level, were required to undertake those trainings, and they were really, really good trainings. Uh, there is no reason why those surveyors are not identifying when there's inappropriate drugging and, and citing accordingly. I'm going to try to stop again and see if we can unmute at least part of the phones and hopefully see if anyone has any. I think, um, and Sarah, if you can text me if 
Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna unmute all. Hi, can people hear me? Yeah. Now we can. Right. Okay, great. I think uh, Karen. I think that it was it, it's your phone. I, I I muted you, and I think that's where the static is coming from. So if you would please, um, I'm gonna keep you muted. And if you want to unmute, you might won't need to call back. So I, um, sorry about that, Karen, but I was able to identify what the um, what, what the problem line was. Uh, does anyone have any comments or questions so far? Okay, Gloria, are you able to hear in the office? Yes, we are. And actually, okay. Richard, yes. we do have a question. Okay. Possible to get the CNA training guidelines um, that, like, for staff for annual training as to what they talk about or what they train them on the drugging. Um, um, well, that, that's a very good question. So, what what CMS did is they put together a um, a training module called Hand in Hand, and that went out to every single nursing home in the country. Um, you can look it up online. It was pretty big. We actually had it in, we received a copy because uh, we participated in the development of, of Hand in Hand. It's pretty big. And what, what, so there's, long story short is that every nursing home received that and it includes different modules that they can use. Uh, I've given trainings somewhat similar to the training that, you know, we're doing today, but, um, and, and that we'll be doing next time for, for nursing home caregivers but they are left to whatever they want to do, but they're supposed to be doing something. So it really, it really should be tailored to what their nursing home, you know, like an in-service to what their residents need. Uh, they can use the hand-in-hand, -hand, and I assume that many of them are because they did go out to all the facilities. Uh, I'm not sure how much of hand-in-hand -hand is available online because it was quite big, and CMS at the time did not have a website dedicated to it. If you go, uh, you know, Advancing Excellence uh, has was, was putting together a lot of those materials. Advancing Excellence is an organization that is part of the um, that, that is part of Leading Age, which I don't want to get too much in the in the you know weeds with everybody. But Leading Age is one of the provider lobby associations, and they host this group that does quality improvement called Advancing Excellence. Uh, so some of those materials are on Advancing Excellence's website. Uh, CMS has since developed a website dedicated to the partnership, and some of those materials might be there. Uh, and also, you know, as I said, you know, we do some of those trainings as well. Others do the trainings, you know, also, and the providers are really left to their own devices. Now, the trainings that I think are really good and are easier to use and are available online are the trainings for the surveyors. So there are, um, I think, three training modules, if I remember correctly. They're about 20 minutes each, and they're a video. And there's something that, you know, people can do online or we can do in the office for the ombudsman if there's interest. But one of the things that they showed I, that I remember is it's a, a, a resident and, you know, visiting with her daughter, I believe, in a room. And the, the, the daughter is leaving, and the resident becomes very agitated. And you see in the doorway, the surveyor is watching. This is for the surveyors, for the inspectors. And through the door, as when the resident becomes agitated, a nurse comes in and gives the resident some pills and lots of water, and the resident takes the pills. And then the, um, the video, the training video, has a question, like, what, you know, what do you think went on here? Um, was, you know, what could have been done to, to alleviate this person's being upset rather than giving her pills. Uh, and in the next segment of the training, you see the um, surveyor talking to the nurse, uh, I think talking to the, to the CNA, talking to the nurse, talking to the administrator, and talking to the medical director. So it gives you a sense in about 20 minutes or so of the kind of things that people should be thinking about when they are, um, you know, in this situation, whether it be a, you know, the surveyor, of course, but also for the nursing home, 
and also for you know a, a resident and resident advocates such as the ombudsman. Now, these are some of the things. If you're seeing you know, someone's agitated on you know when you're visiting a nursing home and they're just getting pills and no one's doing anything else with them, that that could tr trigger an inquiry into what is going on. So I hope that's that's helpful. The the as I said, there is the hand in hand, but it's not obligatory. Uh, any other questions or comments? Okay, I'm going to move on. I'm leaving the lines open for now, and um, hopefully, Karen. Again, I'm sorry um, uh, that um, uh, we're having trouble with your line, but it sounds like everyone can hear okay the way we have it. Is that right? Anyone? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Okay. Very good. So thanks. So I'm going to move on from here. So we are still involved, by the way, with that federal campaign, but it's really become uh, increasingly weak, and that's that's been very disappointing. You know, essentially, what I just wanted to say, you know, take a minute to say is that everyone has a role in quality care, and you know, and as I responded to Gloria's question, as I said, that training is really valuable, could be valuable for ombudsmen, for, for resident and family advocates, for instance, for a, a family council or a resident council. Uh, you know, as I always mention, the state oversight, the Department of Health is really important. Administration is, is key. Now, everyone has a role in understanding what quality of care is, what quality of dementia care is, and, and making it happen for the residents. So what I want to do now is go back and spend you know, a little bit of time uh, talking about what exactly some of those residents' rights are. Uh, one, informed decision-making. Residents have the right to be informed about the risks and benefits of any treatment, including any medication that they may be receiving. Right to refuse. The residents have the right to refuse any treatment or medication. It's really important to consider because I think we kind of infantilize people when they go into a nursing home. Um, you know, even when they can make decisions for themselves, we treat them as someone who is the recipient of care and for whom decisions have to be made. When you go into a nursing home, you don't give up your rights as a resident of the United States or a citizen of the United States. Uh, and as I tell people when I and I've given you know programs on on this issue to a variety of audiences. Uh, you know, I make bad decisions all the time. You know, we're all entitled to make bad decisions. Sometimes I, I drive a little too fast. Uh, my doctor last year told me I should cut down on sugar because my sugar levels were high. I continue, as, as, as Gloria can tell you because we talk about it, I continue to have a piece of cake, sometimes more than one. Um, and uh, those are decisions that I can make. And if I, um, there are consequences, I will have to face them. If I were to go into a nursing home tomorrow or into a nursing home in 30 years, I will still have the right to make those decisions. Uh, importantly, for people who, who lack capacity, that decision-making right goes to the family member or goes to the person who has legal, you know, legal responsibility, the legal right to make decisions for that resident. And as long as they're making decisions that the resident would want, if he or she would able, you know, were able to in, in their best interest, then they can make those decisions, even if the caregiver, even if the doctor thinks it's a poor idea. Um, and that comes down to, to medication as well. And then freedom from chemical restraint. It is against the law to give medications that don't benefit the resident. Again, as I mentioned earlier, such as for the convenience of staff because it may be too hard or, the, or there may not be enough staff to, you know, perceived to be enough staff to provide adequate care to those residents so they just give them a drug to calm them down. One, in fact, it's not really saving time, to be honest, uh, but also it is, it is against the law. I just want to take a moment to say why, why it may not be saving time. You know, we all talk about lack of staff. We talked about this. We had a lunch yesterday with uh, the volunteers on, I would say, the east side of the Hudson River. Is that right, Gloria? Um, yes, I think, that's right. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Um, so, you know, we, we, we had two of our volunteer lunches um, this month, one for, one for our volunteers on the west side of the Hudson, and the other one for our volunteers on the east side of the Hudson, approximately. 
And we were talking about staffing yesterday and how so many residents, uh, so many facilities, excuse me, have insufficient staff. So oftentimes we find that these drugs are given as a form of chemical restraint to calm people down, to sedate them at the convenience of staff because there's just not enough staff to provide care. Uh, so one that is not legal and is not appropriate. It's, you know, a big fight for us in our advocacy is to improve staffing in nursing homes. But even without that, you can actually provide better dementia care without increasing your staffing. And I'll give one really good example is that we have, um, you know, a lot of, oftentimes I'll hear, excuse me, that a resident, um, is, has difficulty with bathing. He or she, uh, becomes agitated. She doesn't like going into the bath. She she lashes out, etc. It requires a lot of residents to give her a bath uh, and to to you know hold her down, etc. What they people have found in that situation is that, as I mentioned earlier, a non-pharmacological approach. So instead of coming into a room and saying, "Okay, Ms. Jones, it's time for your bath," and grabbing Ms. Jones by the arm, and, and Ms. Jones may not understand. She may not want a bath at that time. She may not like a bath at all, is to do, just approach her differently. So if people come in and for maybe, for instance, they know that Ms. Jones doesn't like a bath, but she likes to shower. Or Ms. Jones doesn't like a bath in the morning. She likes a bath in the afternoon or the evening. Just changing the schedule or changing from a bath to a shower could make her easier to care for. It makes the life of the CNAs much easier doesn't require two people to hold her down, make sure she doesn't fall, make sure she doesn't hurt herself or hurt one a single CNA, but just doing it in a way that is more respectful and more honoring of what that resident wants and where, what she needs can make a big difference. And instead of having a half-hour bath time, it could be a 10- or 15-minute bath time as well. So um, there have been some studies, but that is just really a good example, I think, of that you don't need to have a lot of staff to avoid chemical restraints. What you do need is to have a thoughtful approach quite often to what the resident needs, where he or she is, and where she's, he or she's coming from. In terms of informed consent, there are some specific rights that are uh, in the law and in the regulations. Resident has the right to be fully informed in language that he or she can understand of his or her total health status, including medical condition. And I, I go through these because they're important for dementia care, they're important for antipsychotic drugging, but most importantly, I think they're important just for, for everybody. And this really goes to any kind of care, any, any kind of situation. The resident has the right to be fully informed. If a resident, as I say at the bottom, how does this apply to residents with dementia? If a resident is not competent, then the rights of that resident are exercised by the, by the person appointed by the state to act on that resident's behalf. That's usually usually a family member with his, with his family. So if the resident can't be fully informed, the family member has the right to be fully informed in language that he or she can understand. The resident has the right to choose an attending position. The resident has the right to be fully informed in advance about care and treatment, including uh, the use of any kind of drugs. The resident has the right to be fully informed of any changes in care or treatment that may affect her well-being. The resident has the right to participate in planning care and treatment. Really important, and we'll talk more about about care planning in the future. And as I said before, the resident has the right to refuse treatment regardless of whether doing so may be detrimental. So that's one of the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the, the big issues, informed consent. And this is something that in New York State we're trying to do more on uh, in terms of requiring that nursing homes have written informed consent rather than just verbal informed consent so that you really have the opportunity um, as a family member, as a resident, to have in writing whether or not you have acknowledged um, that, that care or treatment is going to take place. I think that's really important, not just so that you it's in writing, but by putting it in writing, it really ensures that there was something in place, that there was, there was practice, not just as what happened with that lady that, um, that I mentioned earlier, that her mother was given drugs, and she was her mother's representative, and she was never told. 
Uh, and that's why I'm spending time today, and that's why I'll be spending time on this next month. Again, it's affecting one out of five nursing home residents, and it's such a pervasive issue. When I talk to families, quite often they have no idea. So this is something for the ombudsman that are, that are online that you could talk about with your resident and family councils, that you can talk about with your family members um, of, of residents who have dementia when you see them, that they have the right to be fully informed about care, about treatment, if they are concerned about something. Uh, they may not be aware of that. The second one that we're going to talk about today is free from unnecessary drugs. And what I do here, what I do with all our materials, as you can see, is I put F329 and then 42 CFR, 483, et cetera. The reason why I do this is so that you don't have to just say, oh, I remember that you, you heard from me, you heard from Richard, you heard at a training, et cetera, that, you know, we, we give you these materials and you could look up the, the F329 is the citation. So that's when a state um, surveyor makes a citation. They cite this at F329 if there's a violation. And the 42 CFR, that's a code of federal regulation. So again, you're not, you know, not to make you a lawyer or not to make you a surveyor, but that you know that there's a basis in the law. It's not just what I'm telling you, but it's actually this is what the law and the regulations require. And what I always include in italics in our materials, that comes directly from the guidance. So here it says, residents who have used antipsychotics should not be given them unless antipsychotic drug therapy is necessary to treat a specific condition as diagnosed and documented in the clinical record. And residents who use antipsychotics must receive gradual dose reduction and behavioral interventions unless clinically contradicted in an effort to discontinue these drugs. So this is it, really, in, in, in a nutshell. Um, residents who haven't received these drugs should not be given them unless it's necessary to treat a specific condition that's been diagnosed and documented in the clinical record. All those things have to be there in order for that use to be legitimate. And for people, if they are receiving antipsychotic drugs, they should be receiving gradual dose reduction and and other interventions, non-pharmacological approaches, which we'll talk more about in our next session, unless clinically contra contradicted, excuse me, in an effort to discontinue these drugs. So we work with a terrific um, nursing home out in Arizona. And this nursing home, it's called Beatitudes. They've been featured in the New Yorker magazine. They were featured in the New York Times. We've done trainings with, with them. And they, um, the person who does this there, her name is Tina Alonzo. She's a nurse. And she, it's a non, a non-profit facility. They have a lot of residents on Medicaid there. They don't discriminate against residents based upon their payer, et cetera. And she told me the last time I saw her at the Alzheimer's Association in New York City that they reduced their antipsychotic drugging to one resident. And that resident was someone who came in and had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And they, they tried to reduce it and do other interventions but she started decompensating, meaning that she she just she really needed those med medications to for a diagnosed condition. But they have reduced this. They have no one who has dementia um, and is receiving these drugs unless they actually have a psych, uh, you know a um, psychotic condition. So really important. This this can be done, and it doesn't take a lot. As I said, you know, in the example, excuse me with the person bathing is that people become agitated and it's often a really, really simple reason why that's happening and really easy to prevent. It just takes a moment to think about what's happening with that resident, what's going on underneath the surface, and what can we do in a different way of practice. And then the last one I'm going to talk about today is called F222, it's the right to be free from chemical restraints. Every resident has the right to be free from any physical or chemical restraints imposed for purposes of discipline or convenience and not required to treat medical symptoms. Uh, so that is, that is really important. Uh, so, and just so you know, a little bit of background, many, many years ago, and I remember visiting my, my great-grandmother in a nursing home, you know, she was strapped down to her wheelchair, and other residents were strapped down, 
and I think it was in the 80s, CMS said stop physically restraining people, stop, stop strapping them down. And almost overnight, the use of physical restraints went down. And there are very few people that are physically restrained. But what happened is that people started to become chemically restrained with antipsychotic drugs. And so that's what we're talking about here, and that's what we're trying to, to stop. And now, as I said, we have about, you know, 18% of, of residents, 17, 18% of residents who are receiving these drugs pretty much as chemical restraint. So it's really, really kind of a very big issue. Have these, have the so-called big guns. I talk about the big laws, you know, the big, big protections, uh, as, as I call them, the big guns against antipsychotics. Have they worked? Uh, not so much. As I mentioned earlier, in 2011, the use of antipsychotics in nursing homes was 25%, one in four residents. Now it's down to one in five residents. So it's gone down a bit, but what I tell people all the time is, you know, the average nursing home resident is only there for, for two years. So every year, about half of those residents are gone and new ones come in. If you had just stopped, if you just stopped giving antipsychotic drugs inappropriately to those new residents, we'd be down by 25% a year and 50% or more by now of inappropriate drugging. It just didn't, it's just, what, what's happening is it's continued that we have anti, you know, inappropriate drugging. This is not something that is a passive thing that's happening. This is someone obviously that is when you give someone a drug, it's an active, it's an action. It's something that, so just stop doing it. Um, just stop that practice. Secondly, and this is, you know, what's most important from our perspective, because we really work in my organization, LTCCC, to, um, to get the State Department of Health to implement these standards to make sure that nursing homes are being treated the way the law provides is that New York State has failed to site facilities for inappropriate drugging. So we'll talk about, about that next time and how, that, how you can use that information in your nursing homes. Because right now we post data every quarter that we receive from CMS on the drugging rates for every single nursing home in the country. So I can pull that information out for, I do for New York State, we post it every quarter on our website, but I can also, you know, and you can see for your nursing homes what the drugging rates are and, you know, find out how serious of a problem is that and, you know, to help you think about your advocacy, your outreach to families, et cetera, in, in your facilities. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the next program. It'll be October 25th at 3 p.m., I'll be coming up to the Hyde Park office, so uh, you're welcome to come there and um, participate in person. And again, we'll be doing the webinar and conference call. And please let your residents, you know, those who have internet and phone access, know about the programs. Let your family members, the resident and family councils in your facilities know about these programs. Because as I said, that woman, and she's, you know, she's one of many, many people who just didn't know that her mother was being given these drugs. She just saw her mother got worse. And she had no idea why, and the nursing home didn't tell her why. The nursing home didn't even tell her that she was being given these drugs, despite the fact that they have a black box warning. And this happens one to one in five almost of our residents. Uh, so I'm going to put together some flyers as soon as possible, get them up to Gloria. Uh, we're happy to make, out, you know, make copies for you to distribute, or you can distribute them electronically, etc. Next time we're going to cover uh, standards including freedom from unnecessary drugging, uh, resident dignity and how that's relevant, uh, how the facility must promote and enhance quality of life, and regarding nursing home staffing. And the facility has to, has to have sufficient staff and that the staff has to be trained, and as Gloria had, had asked before, as we were talking, they have to be knowledgeable about dementia care practices. We're going to also discuss what nursing homes are required to do instead of drugging, with residents who have those so-called behavioral symptoms. Um, and then we're going to talk about how to find out the extent to which your facility has a drugging problem. As I mentioned, you know, we'll talk about how you can use some of the data that we um, publish on our website every quarter with the latest information on the drugging rates. So I'm going to open it up for, um, oh, excuse me, just wanted to mention, we have a couple of resources, of course, these are available on our websites, and the websites are here. Uh, nursinghome411.org. Our homepage is ltccc.org. Also, Nursing Home Compare, where people can look at any nursing home. They can see actually the, the, um, 
the rates of antipsychotic drugging there as well. Uh, and other quality indicators, medicare.gov forward slash nursing home compare. And the two guides that I mentioned, one piecing together quality long-term care, the Consumer's Guide to Choice and Advocacy in New York, that's on our website. And Nursing Home Quality Standards, a primer for residents, families, ombudsmen, and advocates, that we have every standard that we ever, you know, pretty much ever talk about, including the ones I mentioned before, are in this guide. It has a, it's a PDF file for those of you who have computer access, and you could download it. And the table of contents has um, has links, so you see an, a subject that you're interested in, you can click on it, go right to the section to find out, you know, the important standard and the basis for that standard and things to look for. So thank you all very much. Uh, if you have any comments, please send me an email, richard at ltccc.org, Larry Thomas, Carol, Carol, Carol .org, uh, or suggestions for a future program. And then uh, you can also sign up for our newsletter, et cetera. And if anyone has any questions, I'm going to open it up now. Any questions or comments? Richard, this is Gloria. Hi. Uh, go through a detox if they are on a certain amount of medication, do you know? Yes. Well, and that's why they, they, the, the regulations say gradual dose reduction. Okay. So that's, and that's really important. So it's a little bit at a time. Yes, if not, um, that, that person could have serious problems. So, and, you know, I, I was on the uh, technical expert panel that CMS put together when they launched this, and we had someone from uh, a researcher, from a clinical researcher from England, who they invited to speak. And what he said uh, basically was that, you know, if someone becomes very agitated, someone so that they're a danger to themselves or they're a danger to other residents or to the staff, it may be appropriate to give them an antipsychotic drug to calm them down. But that what should happen within a two-week period is two things. One is that they are looking to see you know, what the underlying symptoms are for that person's agitation and taking steps to address it, those so-called behavioral, you know, in, in, interventions, uh, non-pharmacological approaches, another way of putting it that we talk about, whether it be someone moving someone away from the, the sun coming into his face to um, checking to see if they have a urinary tract infection. You know, quite often people become constipated and it could be very uncomfortable if you haven't gone to the bathroom for a couple of days and these drugs can actually exacerbate that. They can make they can make someone who has a propensity to become constipated even more constipated. So someone with dementia can't say, look, I haven't gone to the bathroom. I'm in terrible pain. They, uh, you know, instead they, they act out. And if you ha are in pain, the only way you may be able to express yourself is by crying, is by, you know, by, by scratching or, 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 or hitting because you just don't know what else to do. Um, so what this doctor said from, uh, from England, he said, you know, that within two weeks they should be employing some non-pharmacological approaches to find out what is going on with this resident and addressing it, and then gradually, you know, starting, a, you know, starting to gradually reduce the drugs. So you don't take them off immediately, but you take them off slowly as you're employing, um, you know, the, the um, non-pharmacological approaches. What we too often see happen is the opposite, is that uh, you know, to get back to what I said earlier on, these drugs are not effective for, de for dementia-related behaviors. They're not effective for dementia-related psychosis. And so what happens is that the person is given, say, uh, Haldol or Seroquel, given, say they're given Haldol, and after a couple weeks or, or a couple months, that drug is no longer working. So instead and they haven't done the non-pharmacological approaches, so what they do typically is just give them more drugs. Yeah. And that, you know, one, it increases exponentially the dangers, all the dangers we talk about, the risk of death, the risk of, of heart attack, the risk of stroke, the risk of Parkinson's. So now you have someone who is much more likely to fall, much more likely to be hurt. It's, it becomes a cycle that is, is so incredibly harmful to residents. And... Um, it, it, it just doesn't and shouldn't be that way. 
So as you can see, there's, there's really a lot here, and that's why I wanted to do it in two programs. And the next program, you know, I know we shared a lot today. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. So uh, you know, we'll, we'll be starting um, too far in, but then we'll talk about some of the other uh, standards and then some of the things that, that nursing homes should be doing for uh, behavioral interventions, et cetera. Uh, any other comments or questions about today? a few exit conferences for the Department of Health where they have um, cited them are not doing behavioral intervention before they put them on antipsychotic medication and then they did no follow-up to having them being on the antipsychotic medication. You mean the department did no follow-up or the... The staff. They, so they, yeah. cited, they cited the, the facility on not trying um, other type behavioral intervention without medication, and then when they did put them on medication, there was no follow-up to type to yeah. off of it. Well, that, that's good to hear. I mean, this is a, um, uh, that, that is really good to hear. One of the issues that we've seen in terms of our work on improving oversight of the standards is that when the, when the Department of Health does cite, it doesn't rate it as causing harm to the resident, and if it doesn't, if, if there's a citation and it's not rated as having caused harm to the resident, if it's just rated as being a minor uh, deficiency, then the facilities generally are not penalized. And that's why we see, you know, that, that, that's a big reason, I think, why we see that this problem continues to such a, a large extent is that if they're not penalized, you know, so they get a, a citation, but if the citation doesn't cost them anything, then who cares? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's it's significant. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of work. You know, we'll, we'll talk, we can talk about that at other programs. Um, uh, you know, you know, or any other you know, meetings in the course of the year. But there has been a lot going on recently. With um, CMS has now re, uh, mandated uh, an increase in in the citations in the um, in the money penalties. And we're, I'm actually going to write about this in our next newsletter. It just came out over the summer that there's new, um, they, they increased for the first time in over 20 years for, for many of these penalties were never increased. So just for the inflation, some of them went up over double. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. And so they're giving the states a lot less discretion also in terms of when they do a penalty. And this is something uh, about which we've been advocating a lot because, you know, as I just said, if you get a citation but there's no penalty, then you don't really care. You may not really care. Uh, so that is you know, really important. And as many of you, as you might know from seeing the news um, last night, you know, yesterday afternoon, the Federal Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services released the new nursing home standards. This is the first time since 1991 that they have done a broad overview and and. Um, change of the standards. So this is going to be huge for nursing and residents, and there are some, looks like a, some good improvements in there as well. So we're going to be doing a lot of work on that and, and doing materials for ombudsmen and for families and for residents um, and for policymakers as well so people know what is going on and, um, you know, and what this means. But we saw a lot in terms of improvement for, uh, for uh, residents' rights, uh, et cetera. So that, that, some good, some good things. Richard, will that mean that the Department of Health surveys will somewhat change according to the standards, correct? Yes. Well, you know, the thing is, is that from what I saw, it's, it's 700 pages and I haven't had a chance to look, to, to just, um, to look through it other than a little bit. But, um, you know, a lot of it confirms and re revises what has already been there, and then they made some additions. And so this is something that we've been concerned about, that they, 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 if they're redoing all the rules, that this could cause confusion for the state regulators uh, like DOH who are already not doing a very good job. Uh, and it could cause confusion for nursing homes if, if all the rules change as well. But like what I saw is that, like for instance, I remember them saying that they, they kept all the residents' rights except they rearranged how, where they were so they made more sense, and they added to them. So, um, so to my mind, that means that you know certainly the Department of Health should not be looking for anything less than they already were, 
if anything, this is going to add um, for how they, you know, how they assess what a facility is doing and also make even more clear to nursing homes uh, what they should be doing, what the expectations are. So I, I think it'll be a good thing. Thank you, Richard. Sure, thank you. Any other questions or comments? Uh, please, I'm sorry? Okay, thank you. Thank you, everyone who called in. Thank you, everyone who came in to the office. I look forward to seeing you all next month. Thank you, Richard. Thanks. Bye-bye.